Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks, Ben. Good to see you all up in here tonight. Thanks for coming at the point in the semester when it gets, uh, I think, harder to be on a screen and things get busier. So I really appreciate you coming. Uh, if you, you guys have all been coming. So, you know, we're, we're going through the Apostles' Creed this semester and uh, the Apostles' Creed is really about the Apostles' Creed is that uh, like Christianity kind of like emerged out of uh, Judaism. So like uh, the first Christians were actually just Jewish people that became Christians. And then after a while, like there started to be people becoming Christians that weren't from a Jewish background at all. So they had never read the Bible before. They didn't have like all the context of the Bible that led to Jesus. And so the thinking in the early church was like, how can we like teach these new Christians what they need to know. And that's kind of how the Apostles' Creed, uh, the summary of the Christian faith came about. And uh, it's just really valuable uh, to study and know. And so uh, tonight we come to the point in it. So we've, so far we've looked at God, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And tonight we get to He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And uh, so we're going to cover as Jesus is suffering and death. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read this, he descended into hell part of the Apostles' Creed. I'm always like, what the heck is this talking about? And uh, what it is talking about is not actually, it's a way of saying that Jesus descended to the dead or uh, that what it doesn't mean is that he went to hell, like literally, because that did not happen. And Jesus even says so in the passage we're about to read. Uh, But it does mean, what it's getting at is that Jesus really died. Uh, Didn't kind of die, he really died. And so we're going to read about his suffering and death now, so uh, I'm going to have Sophie pull up our passage, which is a little longer for tonight, uh, and I'll read it for us. And we're going to jump around a little bit in uh, Luke chapter 32. Uh, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I I find no guilt in this man, but they were urgent saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the uh, place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. All right, thanks. Um, okay, so this is one of those, you know, like the cross is everything in Christianity. It's the centerpiece of uh, all that we believe as Christians. And, you know, if you are introduced to Christianity at all, then you know it's about the cross. And it's easy to kind of get a little numb to the cross because uh, we hear about it so much. We've heard the story. We celebrate Easter every year and Good Friday. Um, And so I want to just help us to try to pull out some things that maybe uh, we wouldn't think of right away when we think about the cross. Um, And I just want us to be able to try and look at it with fresh eyes tonight as we think of Jesus suffering and dying. So I want to look at it in three ways. I want to look at why he suffers and dies, uh, why it works, uh, his suffering and dying, to save us and how it transforms us. And so first of all, why? Like, why does he suffer and die? And if you ever like went, you know, the Sunday school answer is for our sins. He dies for our sins. But if you've been around RUF a while, you know that when we talk about sinning, we're not just talking about like this, like basic notion of like doing bad things. But what we're really talking about with sin is the radical corruption of every part of us. And I hope you noticed as we read this passage that that is just on display in this passage. Like the mocking of Jesus as he dies is just over the top. Uh, And I hope you noticed, I wonder if you noticed that they mock Jesus 
the guards, the different people, the criminals, they mock Jesus with the truth. Like, this means that they heard, but they refuse to believe. Uh, because they say things like, let him save, he, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, let him save himself. Or they call him the king of the Jews repeatedly, which is true. Uh, and the, even the criminal says, aren't you the Christ? And these are all people that have heard everything they need to hear. Like, they've heard what is actually true about Jesus. They've seen everything they need to be saved, but they reject him. When we reject Jesus, it's not because we don't know what's right. It's because we don't like him. All right, we need to see ourselves in this crowd, this group of people that's mocking Jesus. It's just bad, guys. Like, we need to see ourselves in it. Uh, You know, when we, for instance, have a season of being distant from God, which many of us do, I think. Uh, what's actually, what's usually going on there is that we're purposefully distancing ourselves from God because we don't like him. We don't like his claim on our life. We don't want a king. We don't want his help. And so sin is offensive, uh, not because it's like rejecting some set of ideas or some set of rules, but because we're, when we sin, we're rejecting a person, namely Uh, our creator, the one who created us in love. And there's just nothing more offensive than the people in this account sarcastically mocking Jesus with the truth. And if we're honest, we'll just, we'll see ourselves in these people. Uh, And we'll see it most clearly when we know what's true and do whatever we feel like instead. And the result of that is that we have this a guilt that's not going to go away on its own. Uh, we have a guilt that's not going to go away on its own. Uh, this week I was reading an article. This is fascinating. In the New York Times, uh, there was a story about uh, a 100-year-old former Nazi camp guard. Uh, so 100 years old, lives in Germany, uh, was a guard in a Nazi camp back when the Nazis had camps. And this week was charged with the accessory to murder of over 3,000 people from back then. And, and this is what's happening still in Germany is they're finding who was involved with the Nazis and they're, they're charging them with their crimes. And listen to what this German prosecutor says about it. He says, it took a long time, which has not made things any easier because we, now we're dealing with such elderly defendants. But murder and accessory to murder have no statute of limitation. See what he's saying there? He's saying murder doesn't go away. It's a guilt that won't go away according to our laws. And we are under the same condemnation uh, because of our sin. We have a guilt that's not going away, which is why Jesus had to suffer and die. Uh, But I want to look now at why it works. Uh, And it works because he's innocent. It works because he's spotless. Uh, And if you look at the details of the passage we read, like the point that Luke, the author, is trying to show over and over is just how spotless Jesus is. It talks about his trial before Pilate, uh, also his trial before Herod, which we did not read tonight. Uh, And both of these rulers are saying, like, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. And he, you know, Jesus pleads for the forgiveness of the people that are killing him and mocking him to God. 
And even the criminal crucified next to him knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then after he dies, the Roman centurion, which is like a soldier, uh, says certainly this man was innocent. And as the crowds go away beating their breasts, they seem to know it too. Uh, I want you to think about the spotlessness and sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, What would it be like to interact with someone who is sinless? Uh, who never tried to one-up you, who never thought selfishly ever and only thought about your good and loved you as himself always. Uh, It would be amazing, right? But the truth is that most people viewed him as a threat. And that's probably what we would have done too. That's how messed up we are. Uh, but, and so Jesus is our, his innocence is our only hope. Uh, why did Jesus have to be innocent? Because if he wasn't, then he couldn't be dying for the sins of anyone else. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard these. There's a lot of amazing stories out there of like someone dying for someone else. You know, someone giving, actually giving up their life to save someone else, a loved one. Uh, you know, I think about my family, my wife, my kids, I would die for them. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate at all to die for my kids or my wife. And, you know, someone might look on that. If that happened, they might look at that as a great display of love. Uh, But the difference between me dying for my loved ones and Jesus dying for us is that, like, if I were to do that, I would just be, like, speeding up my own impending death. Like, I'm going to die anyway. So me dying for someone is nowhere near as big of a deal as the sinless one dying, the one that death had no claim on, uh, dying on behalf of the people, of us. Like, he, he wasn't going to die because he was guilty. He was innocent. Um, yet the Creator goes to the cross to die. And the cross is brutal. Uh, you know, everything about it is brutal, but the most painful part is this rejection uh, this fa- as the father turns his face away, uh, the utter, utter God-forsakenness of Jesus' death. And again, he really dies. And his death is just all love, guys. He does it because it was the only way he could save us. Uh, that's why it works. It, di- it works because he's innocent and it was all love. Uh, but I want to... Th- kind of look now at how it transforms us. And the big idea in how it transforms us is what happens after he dies. The curtain of the temple, it says, tears in two. Uh, Do you know about the curtain of the temple? The curtain of the temple, if you don't know, uh, in the temple, there was a holy place where not that many people could go. And then there was a place called the most holy place where one high priest could go one day a year to, a, to sacrifice for the sins of the whole of all of Israel. And that still exists today. It's called Yom Kippur. And uh, the holy place, uh, the most holy place um, was, you couldn't get to it because there was this massive curtain. The curtain was like huge. It's made, it, like the thickness of it was like rope material. And on the day that, as Jesus dies, that curtain is torn in two. And, you know, what it symbolizes is we're in now. Like, the challenge of the Day of Atonement is that, like, you know, there's one day a year when, like, our sins can be atoned for. But, like, 
you know, it has to happen every single year. What about my sin next year and next year? Like, what if I keep on sinning? sinning? What am I supposed to do? And it's this problem that we all deal with, which is like, you know, am I enough? Like where I stand right now, am I okay with God? Have I done enough? Have I like confessed enough? Am I sorry enough for the bad things I've done? Am I missing something in my life for God to be happy with me? Do I have enough faith for him to accept me? And when Jesus dies, it goes dark for three hours and the curtain is torn in two. The barrier between uh, God and all his holiness and us and all our sin. And it means that Jesus is enough. You know, that whole question is like, you know, am I enough? Am I enough? Have I done enough? Have I, am I faithful enough? Jesus is enough is what this says. Jesus did enough. It's done. You're in. It means that if we belong to Jesus, then we know exactly where we stand. Uh, Nothing else needs to be done to make us right. Nothing else needs to be done to make God love us. Uh, We cannot lose this love. So how should we respond? I just want to wrap up by thinking about how should we respond? Um, uh, Two things. Uh, We should respond by becoming humble people that are quick to confess our need for a savior. Like the good news of this passage is that the criminal on the cross that is going to paradise with Jesus has zero good works. (laughs) He's got nothing. Like he hasn't done anything right, but he's in. And if you're a complete failure, if your life is a total mess, Jesus still wants you. So if you've sinned big time today or this week or this month or this year, Jesus still wants you. You know, if you're greedy and selfish and judgmental, Jesus still wants you. Uh, If you're someone who gossips a lot and talks about people behind their back, Jesus wants you. He wants to make you new. He wants to change your heart. Uh, So I just want to ask you, have you come to God in prayer lately and confessed sin, confessed your need of his grace and received it? Uh, That's the only place that life can be found. Uh, Can you confess sin to other people? Can you let other people know uh, that you're a failure too? And you know what I want RUF to be like? Like, what I want RUF at UConn, like, wouldn't it be great if RUF at UConn was known as a community of people that know that they're a mess and that they're not better than anyone else, but make a big deal about the love that Jesus gives? Like, wouldn't that be great? Uh, We know we're a mess. We know we're not better than anyone else. You know who's great? Jesus. You know who loves us? Jesus. Somehow, some way, he still loves us. It's about the cross. So we should become humble and quick to confess our need. But the other way that we should respond is by following Jesus into sacrificial love. And I just want to ask you guys another question. Are you really loving anyone that's not yourself? What's it costing you? In what ways can you lovingly serve people around you, uh, people in RUF, people in your home, people at UConn, people where you work, whatever the case may be? Um, you know, who's someone you don't naturally like that you could try to love and serve? 
You know, what might it look like for you to follow Jesus into sacrificial love? I heard another World War II story uh, recently about Scottish soldiers that were captured in Japan and they were forced to build a jungle railroad in Japan and it was just really rough, like awful conditions, horrible life situation. And these guys, these Scottish guys that are captured are just turning on each other, becoming wild animals out there. It's so bad, starving to death. And uh, one afternoon something happened. A shovel went missing. It was missing, and the officer in charge, the Japanese officer, was enraged with these guys, and he demanded that someone produce the missing shovel or else. And nobody, ha- no one produced the shovel, and so he said he was going to kill them all on the spot, and they all were like, this guy is going to kill us. And then finally, one man stepped forward, and the officer put away his gun, and he beat that guy to death with a shovel. And then when it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse and they carried it over to where they were going to have the second tool check. And they counted the tools again. And this time, no shovel was missing. And they realized they had just miscounted the first time. And word spread like wildfire through the whole camp. And, you know, an innocent man had been willing to die to save all the others. And it had an amazing effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers again. And when the war was over, when the allies came in to free them, they stood before their captors. Like these men who had just like brutally abused them. And instead of attacking them, they said, no, no more hatred. No more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Uh, Do you see how sacrificial love can change everything? I want to invite us to look again at the sacrificial love of Jesus. Have you thought about it lately? The love he poured out on the cross. And then step out confidently in love. Uh, Step out ready to lay down your life. Maybe even for your enemies. Uh, Let me close this in prayer. Uh, Father, change us by this love, we pray. Uh, We just desperately need our hearts to be melted by this love. And I pray that we would know more of it. I pray that we would see the cross for what it truly is, the exposure of our sinfulness and just the glory of who you are, uh, who can conquer sin with love. Uh, Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.